0: for leading us in worship and being here today and a joy to worship with all of you this morning. We turn to look at God's Word. We're looking at Matthew 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount and today we begin the third and final chapter of that chapter 7, so it's a good time for me just to take a moment and review uh, so that we can remember what we've learned or you may be here a guest for the first time and we're so glad that you're here and so let me just review. The Sermon on the Mount is about how the followers of Jesus are to live. This is Jesus' instruction to us about how to live if we have become his disciples. So if you've become a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, this is how we're to live in response to his call upon our lives. And we're learning that uh, uh, we're to live differently. In order to be like the Father, we have to live different from the crowd and even different from other religious people. And one of the reasons of going through a passage like this is we can build Bible knowledge. And so I hope that in the future, uh, as... uh you remember this series. Maybe you didn't know where to find the Lord's Prayer. Well, you'll know now it's in Matthew chapter 6. Or maybe you deal with worry or you talk to somebody who deals with worry and and you'll know to go to that passage that we looked at last week in Matthew 6 about worry. Or or you want to know what Jesus had to say about marriage and divorce and we looked at that in in chapter 5. So one of the reasons of going through a passage like this and taking some time is that we can build our Bible knowledge and we can use that in the future. So as we've seen about living differently, Matthew 5, was largely about a different kind of righteousness, a righteousness that goes beyond the outward act to the heart. Jesus said, you've heard, don't murder, but I say to you, don't even commit anger in your heart. And so Jesus is calling us to a level of righteousness that's deeper than the mere outward act. He wants to transform us from the inside out. And then in uh, Matthew 6, the last chapter we looked at, the first part was about church life. Jesus really cares about us in a church. He really wants us to have a spiritual life. And so he said this life has to be different. It can't be hypocritical or for show. Again, it has to be from the heart. And then we talked about... A different view of money and material things. And we learned that Jesus taught us to not put our priority here, but to lay up treasures in heaven. He taught us not to worry, but to trust God to provide for our basic needs. So we've seen a different righteousness, a different church life. We've seen a different view of material things. And now in chapter seven, it's about different relationships. And so today we're going to talk about four different relationships that we have and how that is to be different if we are followers of Jesus. So let's jump in, and the first one is our relationship to other Christians. And here's what Jesus says about our relationship to other Christians. Don't be so critical. Jesus is going to call us to love and affirm one another and not to be judgmental or critical of one another. Begin in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. I need to spend a moment here telling you what this doesn't mean before we can talk about what it does mean. Because this is probably one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. In fact, one seminary professor wrote a book entitled The 17 Most Misused Verses in the Bible. And this was number one in that list of 17. Some have said that in our culture today, this is the verse of scripture that non-believers know the best. Uh, The most memorized or quoted verse by non-Christians is Matthew 7.1. If you're a Christian, probably the most memorized verse is John 3.16, right? sums up the gospel. But For non-Christians, this verse is often used to defend uh, lifestyles different from those in the Bible or to say that Christians have no right to make moral judgments. Um, We'll take a stand on something that the Bible teaches and this verse will be quoted to say, well, that may be right for you, but it's not right for me. Remember what Jesus said, judge not so that you'll not be judged. So this verse is misused and that it is taken to mean that we can't make any discernment or any moral judgment or speak anything about what is right or wrong. So that's how it's misused in our culture. If you haven't encountered it in a discussion with a non-believer, you will at some point probably uh, because that's a standard argument today. Well, that's not what Jesus means here. We know that Jesus is not saying don't make any moral judgments because this whole sermon has been about what's right and what's wrong, hasn't it? Jesus has been saying all along that that lust is wrong, that divorce under most cases is wrong. He's been saying that that anger is wrong, so Jesus is making moral judgments. We're going to see in the very next verses that Jesus tells us to be discerning about people. We're going to see next week that he tells us to watch out for false prophets, so we have to. some discernments there. That's not at all what this verse means. In fact, let me read to you one uh, passage from, the, from 1 Corinthians where Paul tells us, at least in the church, we have a great responsibility to judge um, right and wrong behavior. For, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So In the church at Corinth, to whom Paul is writing this letter, there was uh, somebody living probably with his stepmother, uh, his father's wife, it says. And and the next verse says, and and you are proud of it. So let me skip to verse 3 and read what Paul says. He says, uh, for my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. Paul has no hesitancy in saying, that's wrong, and you need to, to tell the guy that that's wrong, and if he doesn't repent, you need to take action there as a church. So you see how I want to make this clear that the Bible says we have a right and an obligation to declare what the Bible says is right and wrong, and it doesn't prohibit moral judgment. So if that's not what it means, then what does Matthew 7 one mean? Well, it means, as we're going to see in this context, that we're not to be harsh in our judgment, to not to be fault-finding, not to be overly critical. We're not to judge things that, uh, in small matters. We're not to judge by appearances. We, we, are, uh, we don't have full knowledge, and Christians need to be gracious to one another. The, the second verse gives us this context. For in the same way you judge others, Matthew 7, 2, you will be judged with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So Jesus says, be careful in making moral judgments because you'll be judged in the same way. Well, how do I want to be judged? I want to be judged fairly, but I want to be judged with some grace and mercy, don't you? I want some grace and mercy when I'm judged, don't you? Then let's be gracious and merciful to others as well, okay? So in our evaluations, in our opinions, let's be gracious and merciful, realizing that we're sinners. There's a Christian lady that I know who's the most affirming and positive, And she's always saying to me something positive and affirming and encouraging about someone else or about something that's going on. I want to be like that when I grow up. And, there, and I know another Christian lady who is always finding fault and it's always something wrong and there's always something wrong with somebody. You want me to call names? No, no, I'm not gonna do that. But but you know people like that, right? I don't wanna be like that. And Jesus calls us here in our relationship with others not to be like that. And then Jesus, to drive home this point, tells a humorous illustration. He says in verse three, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You get the, the humorous, exaggerated picture here. Oh, let me help you get that sawdust out of your eye when there's a two before sticking out of my own eye, you know? Uh, and Jesus says, How can you say, to your brother, verse four, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is telling us we always tend to see other people's sins more clearly than our own, don't we? We always tend to underestimate our own flaws and overestimate others, right? And we need to reverse that and give grace, he's saying. And Jesus says, judge yourself, get the log out of your own eye, before you do others. So the first relationship that he's talking about here is about our relationship as a church body, as, as fellow Christians. The devil wants to divide us, and what he calls us to do is be gracious and merciful in our judgments. I'll give you an old story that's an illustration Back uh, over a hundred years ago, there was a preacher in England, a famous Baptist preacher named Charles Spurgeon. He and his wife had chickens, and they sold eggs. And they always sold the eggs. They never gave anybody any of the eggs, even relatives or close friends. And Spurgeon and his wife got criticism for that. So, well, he's making a, a good salary. Why does he have to charge for those eggs? Why, didn't, why can't he give those eggs away? But what people didn't know until after his death that Charles and Mrs. Spurgeon supported two widows. There were two widows in the community that had no source of income and that egg money was the, the funny. And nobody, nobody knew that until after they were dead. You see, we weren't in a, they weren't in a position to judge, but we often do that, don't we? Let me read to you one more verse before we leave this section. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Remember I read to you in 1 Corinthians 5 that we have a right and obligation to make moral judgments, right? Well, here's the same writer, Paul, just one chapter earlier. Here's the balance to it. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. God calls us. Jesus calls us here to be restrained in our judgments and our criticism of others. Jesus then talks about our relationship to those who oppose our faith. And Jesus says to us, in relation to those outside the faith who are enemies of the faith, who are hardened in their opposition, be careful how you respond to questions. Be careful in how you speak to them. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, what in the world does that mean? Uh, well, dogs is different in their culture than in ours. Dogs bring a, probably a positive image in your mind. Oh, Fifi. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, you've got a dog that you love but dogs in this culture were wild animals they were destructive animals packs of wild dogs and in the New Testament, when it uses dogs symbolically like this, it's always negative. I won't take time to show you the passages, but Philippians 3, 2, he says, Watch out for dogs, those evildoers. Revelation twenty two fifteen 15 talks about those who will be outside the gates of the New Jerusalem, the dogs, those who practice magic arts and murder and idolaters. So it, it means those symbolically who are hardened against the gospel, enemies of the gospel. Same way with pigs. Dogs and pigs were two unclean animals in the Old Testament so they represent those who are adamantly and viciously opposed to the gospel and so he says don't take what's sacred and give to a dog a wild dog won't appreciate your fine things. Or don't give pearls to pigs. Oh, let me put this strand of pearls around. They're not going to appreciate that. What do these pearls represent? The pearl is the kingdom of God. It is the gospel. It's the wonderful message to which we've been entrusted. And he's saying be careful that you don't give these to those who will trample them under feet. That sounds a little strange to us because aren't we supposed to share the good news of Jesus with everybody? Yes, we are. That's our job. We've got this wonderful message, this pearl to share. So we've got to share that with other people. And what's he saying here? He's saying, but there are times when there's discretion needs to be given. It balances out. Don't be so critical of of those in the church, but use some discretion outward. I'll give you an example in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, <clears throat> Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? So here they are asking Jesus a question. Well, why didn't Jesus say, let me tell you whose authority I am. I came from heaven, the eternal Son of God. I've come to earth to share you the good news of Jesus. And I am speak with the authority of the Father. But he didn't do that. He didn't directly answer the question. He didn't cast his pearls before swine. He instead said, let me ask you a question, John the Baptist. Did he ha- who, where did his authority come from? And they knew, well, we don't know how to answer that if we say it came from God. He said, well, why didn't you listen to him if it says we came? It didn't come from God. All the people believed in John the Baptist. And so verse 27, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. You you hear there? Jesus knew they didn't want to know where his authority came from. They were trying to trap him, trying to accuse him trying to kill him, and he wasn't ready to die. Now, how does this apply then to us? Well, you say, well, how does that apply to us? Increasingly in our culture, there is there's an agenda in, of some against the gospel, and we need to be careful how we respond. I think increasingly Christians in the media in a hostile media need to be careful how we respond. I think on the internet some of us are drawn into battles from people who are not wanting to know the truth but just want to fight and we need to be careful how we respond. We want to answer questions where people really want to know the truth. We certainly want to help, but we need to be guarded in those who want to mock the faith or abuse the faith or twist it. Jesus said, "Be careful in those kind of relationships. Jesus talks about a third relationship in in verse 7 and following, our relationship to our Father. And here He says, ask Him for His good gifts. You remember that the word Father is is found uh, 12 times in this sermon. It's a key theme. And it says in uh, verse 7, ask and it'll be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock And the door will be open to you. Jesus is talking about prayer to God. And he's encouraging us to pray. Earlier in the sermon, he taught us how to pray. Now he's just encouraging us to pray. Ask. Seek. Remember he said, seek first the kingdom. And now he's saying, would you seek that kingdom? You see, our human nature and the devil work against prayer. In your life, the devil will say to you and your human nature will say, I don't even know if God's up there. I don't even know if, he, if he's even listening. Is, is, is he even, does he even hear what I'm, is there any use in praying? And your human nature and the devil will say, he already knows everything. What in the world do I need to tell him what I need for? But Jesus is saying to counteract that, ask, seek. Knock. He's encouraging us to pray. And the tenses of these verbs are in a a, a Greek tense that means continuous action. And so one translation translates it, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Perseverance. Don't give up in your praying. When you don't get answers, Jesus is saying there'll be times you pray and you do not get answers. Don't quit praying. Keep on. Jesus is encouraging us in our relationship to God to ask Him for His good gifts. It says in verse 8, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Today, if you're not a Christian, if you'll ask, He'll give you the kingdom. If you'll seek the kingdom, if you'll seek Him, you'll find Him. Today, you could could become a Christian. You could be saved from your sin and know you're going to hell. If you will ask, if you'll seek him, you'll find him near right now. Jesus gives an illustration to show how God is eager to answer godly prayers. He says in verse 9, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Would you do that? Uh, if your kid comes and says, Hey, can I have a cracker? Let's give him a rock, see what happens when he eats that rock. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? What's your wife gonna say when you do that? How's that gonna go over? We wouldn't do that, would we? And we are evil. And he says, verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Can I have some goldfish crackers? Let's give him a snake and see what he sees. We're not gonna do that. So it's a comparison from, from lesser to greater, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, You're you're sinners. But even in your sinful state, my sinful state, we know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? You hear the eagerness of God? To respond to your requests? God wants you to ask. And He wants you to tell Him your needs. And he wants you to seek him. And he's devised a system in which he will respond to prayer that he responds to those who ask and seek him. Right now, there may be some things in your life that are bothering you. And you've worried about them, but you haven't talked to God about them. And would you, right now, whatever is crowding into your thoughts, would you say, Father, I need your help here. I want to know what to do. I want your direction. Oh, when a a child asks for an earthly parent, they don't always get exactly what they ask for, do they? Because that earthly parent knows what is good for that child and sometimes they ask for a cookie and they get something a little bit different instead because that is good. You're not... You may not get exactly what you asked for, but there is a Father who wants to give you good gifts. He's eager to have a relationship with you, and so Jesus is pounding it home here. Ask, seek, knock. The Father in heaven wants to give good gifts to those who ask him. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, is Luke's account of some of this same teaching, probably when Jesus taught it on another occasion. And Luke adds this phrase that Jesus said, then if you then though are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So one of the greatest of God's gifts is the Holy Spirit. You ask and God will save you from your sins and he'll send the Holy Spirit into your life to live with you and be your friend. And he says, everyone who asks, receives. Today, you can have God come into your life. Today, you can have the presence of the Holy Spirit come into your life to be your your friend and your helper. But you've got to ask Him. You have to seek His kingdom. And when you do that, everyone who asks will receive. God says that there's a relationship He wants to have with you like a father to a child. And He wants you to be dependent upon Him and to ask for what you need. The fourth relationship that Jesus talks about in this passage is our relationship to all people. He's talked about our relationship to Christians and relationship to those outside the faith who are hardened and our relationship to God. And now, in this last verse, he talks about our relationship to all people. And he says, treat them the way you want to be treated. This is what's called the golden rule. It got its name because apparently there was an emperor named Alexander... Severus, who had it inscribed in gold on his throne room. And so at least since the time of the Middle Ages, it's been called the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus says, in your relationship with everyone, treat them... The way that you want to be treated. You've heard the question probably that was popular a few years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, Asking uh, when you had a decision to make, well, what would Jesus do? Well, here Jesus teaches a little bit different. He teaches WWIW. What would I want? And he says when you, in your relationship with other people, you ask, how would I want to be treated? What would I want? would you ask that in your relationship with your employees your boss the students at your school your teacher how would I want to be treated in this relationship what would I want if I was in their position and the people that I relate to every day how would I want them to treat me Jesus says this sums up the law and the prophets. You see, Jesus one time was asked about the commandments that sum up the law and the prophets. He said there's two commandments. You love God with all your heart, and you love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up the law and the prophets. Well, this is another way of stating that commandment about our relationship to to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself, or treat them the way that you would want to be treated. And Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, began the first part of this body of the sermon in Matthew 5, 17. First 16 verses of the sermon is sort of the introduction, the Beatitudes. And then when he got to this real righteousness, he said, I've not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Now, here's the last verse in the body of the sermon, and he comes back around to the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The rest of this we're going to look at next week is the invitation, the conclusion, Jesus says this sums up the law and the prophets. You love God with all your heart. And you love your neighbors yourself. Or do to your neighbor what you would have them to do to you. If we're followers of Jesus, it's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect everything, isn't it? And it's going to affect our relationships. What's God saying to you today about your relationships? What's he saying to you about your relationship with the church? Have you been that affirming person? Have you been that encourager? Have you been too critical, too judgmental? What's he saying in your relationship to those outside the faith? Have you been lacking in discernment? What's he saying to you about your relationship to the Father? Are you living in a dependence upon him that's characterized by asking him? And are you treating everyone as you would want to be treated? Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh Lord, we are sort of looking at our relationship.